everybody. My name is Eric Johnson, and I'm here again with my brother Derek running into the fog. And today our guest is Rich Caldwell uh, from Northrop Grumman and all other places uh, beyond. Uh, resident of Colorado and uh, guitarist, as I can see in his background there on the video. There. So, how you doing, Rich? How you doing, Derek? I, I'm doing great. <clears throat> yeah, I'm as well, and uh, really good to be on the podcast with you guys today. Well, Rich, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, we've known each other for many years now, and as a co-chair of the Reconverge G2 meeting that uh, used to happen, uh, it was certainly a missed opportunity, I think, last year uh, for us to get together and hang and, uh, and just, you know, talk about intelligence work and, and business and life in general. So uh, I've been looking forward to catching up with you here on the podcast and exploring yeah. some of that and what you've been up to during the pandemic. Sure, sure. Yeah, we've uh, we've been uh, quite busy. I, I will tell you that. So as a veteran of uh, 12 years of remote work uh, and then seeing the rest of the world enter into that, uh, it, it's been a little frustrating, you know, but uh, I think people are starting to ease into it now. Right. Yeah. So well, today... Go ahead, Derek. Uh, so today is the 7th of April, 2021, um, recording number 10 here on Running Into the Fog, Rich. And uh, you know, I, don't, I think it would be really helpful for our audience uh, listeners. You know, can you tell us a little bit about uh, you know, your background? You know, what, what prior to Northrop Grumman had your attention and you know, what was it about Northrop Grumman that attracted you to uh, that organization? <laughs> Yeah, so uh, you know, I uh, was a career Air Force officer in communications electronics, and uh, spent a lot of time working in command centers, command posts, uh, out in the field. I drug a radar around for uh, four or five years in Europe, and uh, uh, we call that Army Air Corps because <laughs> we were out camping in the field with the Army. Um, I did some time in what I call the Spendagon. Uh, and the joint staff, uh, and uh, that's probably where uh, I really got you know steeped a little bit more into intelligence because uh, in my group in the J3, which is operations, you know they they have these numbers J1 through J8 now. Uh, three was operations, and uh, I pulled some uh, shifts in the uh, in the NIMJIC, the National Military you know, Intelligence uh, Center. Um, <clears throat> stood up a uh, a cell. This was right after Kobar Towers. This was in '96. If you remember uh, that incident, and uh, they uh, did a commission report on it, and uh, there was an intelligence failure. It was also uh, you know, a terrorist attack. So, uh, uh, because I came from a special ops base, I had that stink on my head, you know. And they said, "Hey, you're you're a special operator," and I really wasn't. I was, you know, I was a comm squadron commander at a special ops base, but they put me on that and we stood up a combating terrorism deputy directorate. All right. And I learned a lot there about intelligence and, and uh, pulled a couple of shifts running uh, an intelligence cell. I had no idea what I was doing, but I learned the process. Uh, I remember it, it sat on a bar stool with a uh, computer screen that was tied to a pole Okay, because this is the only place we'd have it. And I said, what, what do I do here? Well, you look at all these uh, lines here, and if this comes up or that comes up, you pick up the phone and call these folks. And 
so I started learning then and I got to work with a, a good friend uh, who's in the J2, my counterpart, a guy named Bob Gorley. Uh, he, he's, he's got his own business out there and, and uh, he, he was the CIO at one time of Northrop Grumman. He still does a lot of intelligence work and every once in a while I'll, I'll tap him. But, uh, you know, when I was winding down the career, I ended up in Cheyenne Mountain uh, on a space crew. Uh, I had a choice of going uh, off and, you know, doing another remote, but it was time to take care of the kids. And I said, I need to get to, I need to get to Colorado. My parents are getting older. The kids, you know, I can't be doing remotes with them. And uh, so they, they changed my career and put me in the Cheyenne Mountain. And I was the, the first communications officer to, to, to be a commander of a space crew, which, by the way, was the last space force before Space Force. Wow. So you realize there was a United States Space Command already. And I was the last space crew commander to do that. That was a blast because I had the whole space catalog there. I was a space geek. I love that job. Yeah. Then I retired and uh, Northrop Grumman uh, took interest in me because I had I, when I was on the Pentagon, I in the Pentagon, I uh, set up a program called Global Command and Control System. All right. And it had a lot of different uh, moving parts to it, had an Intel side to it, uh, what we call the Intel six pack. That's what we called that at the time is six different uh, uh, modules that we pulled together. And uh, uh, so I was responsible for that, ran the first three acquisition cycles for it. And Northam Grumman was doing a lot of the support on it. When I got out, they said, well, we want you to you know, run the replacement as a capture manager. You, you replace that program for us. You know all the people. I wrote the strategic plan for it, right? Um, so I did that for a while, uh, uh, did some system engineering. Um, the, the, the government has a way of messing things up. <laughs> so as we were moving down this replacement, uh, they, they had problems meeting their acquisition gates. And so that program got put off and eventually I landed myself into a CI role. Um, and, uh, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I, I thought, well, this is where I need to be. And, you know, and I think I ended up there because as a capture manager, uh, I went and talked to my PTW analyst and my CI analyst at that time. This is the early days of, of this happening and uh, of A&D companies having uh, an Intel function, a CI and a PTW function. And I went and talked to them and they said, well, it, it, it's a philosophy. You know, and I said, well, how's this done? What do you do for me? And I ended up doing my own CI work. And, um, and so that, uh, uh, I think I complained too much and uh, they eventually put me into that role. And, uh, we basically started at ground zero, built up a boot camp where we are teaching our own people how to do this. And, uh, here I am, uh, oh my, I think I've been doing that for 13 years now, 13 years later, still doing it. Love it. Love it. When you said Cheyenne Mountain and Space Force, I had Stargate uh, in my mind. And like, you must have been running the Stargate. Uh, yeah. Dialing them into all those d distant places across the universe. Oh, that was a fun place to work in the mountain there. Uh, we actually, uh, you know, we had tours during that time. It was pre-9-11, uh, or, or pre right? And uh, we were doing tours. We called ourselves Tours Are Us. And we'd take people in there and we had uh, one room that was in a hallway and we, we stripped the tag off of it and put alien autopsy room on it. <laughs> and uh, one of my uh, uh, crew specialists, who was an orbital analyst, had this rubber alien 
right? And, and it was about three feet tall. And we would put him in the chair and put like newspaper in his hands. And people come in for their tours. I ah, don't mind him. He's, he's the uh, liaison uh, here for uh, alien affairs. <laughs> so we had a lot of fun with that. We had a lot of fun with that. Hilarious. And you knew Jim Matthews uh, back in the day, as I recall. I, I did. It was the early days. Uh, he helped. Uh, he was one of our founding uh, fathers for our boot camp. Uh, he uh, stood that up with two people from uh, Lockheed Martin and Al Stewart and Al Fear. They all came in at the same time and brought a wealth of knowledge and, and uh, kickstarted our whole program. Hmm. Yeah. Well, one of the cool things about Jim, and I know you uh, also emulate this, is uh, really advocating for young people uh, in mm. the in the field, and as they get in, uh, really helping them figure out how to use intelligence in their career to advance uh, through the organization, and really get up and out of intelligence in a lot of ways and into more managerial ranks. Tell us a little bit about that. And then um, you were also co-chair of the Reconverge G2 conference for two years running. I think it was 18 mm -hmm. and 19. Am I mm -hmm. right about that? Yes. And yep. how did that, how did those two, how did your sort of advocacy for young people, young professionals, and then your experiences at G2 uh, yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, that that's a cultural thing that I picked up in, in, in the Air Force. You always took care of your people first, people first all the time. And uh, I've carried that into the corporate environment. And, uh, you know, and, and as you start getting, you know, a little bit older into this, this, uh, you know, career, you start thinking, you know, people took care of me, there was people took me under their wing, I wouldn't be where I am. And, and so I start turning my focus on that. And uh, as I started, uh, you know, running a, a strategic uh, landscape division, I started uh, doing that for the entire sector. I'd bring in new people and I would tell them, so you're going to be here for two years and I'm kicking you out of here. You need to move up if you want to stay, you know, relevant. And, and, you know, you need to either take on a manager's role. You need to, you know, broaden your experiences. And, and I've done that with several people. Uh, I had one young gal named uh, Mary Lieb who's, just had a natural ability for intelligence. Yeah. And uh, I told her, I said, you're way too smart for this job. Uh, you, you need to move. So I tried to get her into a master's program, but uh, my division wasn't paying for one. So I found one for her and, and uh, I got her into that. Uh, she had to move jobs and uh, she didn't like what she was doing for a while. And I just, I was, I'd have calls with her and just say, what's your goal? get my master's. Mm. There you go. Get your master's. And so I got her to that. And I said, now what's your goal? Uh, I've got to move into capture. I says, that's right. I says, now what's your goal? I want to be a manager. And I said, yeah. And I, and I do that with all, all, I call my kids, right? And I, and I bring them in and I tell them, you're here for two years. I'm kicking you out. You know, and some of, uh, some of these folks that are corporate folks, they, why, why are you doing that? That guy has a lot of talent or that gal has a lot of talent. And I says, well, our job is to make sure that we culture, you know, uh, cultivate these people and, and move them on so they can be our leaders someday. You know, and uh, I, I says, I have no desire to climb the corporate ladder. I like where I'm at. I'm a practitioner. You know, if I move up a level, I'm not going to have my fingers on that pulse anymore, but I'm in a place where I can do the most damage. I call it that. You know, so I can bring in new people. I can train them. I can create new processes, introduce new concepts. Uh, so I love doing that. So, you know, at Reconverge, that, that was a lot of fun. Uh, um, I, I forget her, my coach here. Uh, but she worked for uh, the bank there. Uh, Bridget, Bridget uh, Wagner. Bridget, Brad, Bridget. Bridget. 
So that was interesting. She had two young stars there, right? And uh, and I had a, a couple people, and I started talking to her. Says, you know what we ought to do? We ought to swap jobs for a week. Send your people to Northrop Grumman, and I'll send mine there. And and I had that almost you know laid out. Everybody agreed to it, and then we did a reorg. Oh man, that killed it. That killed it. I thought this would be a great opportunity. I said, you know, we're not going to do any proprietary stuff for them, but I'm going to bring them in and we're gonna, you know, brief them. And, and at the end of the week, they can tell us what they learned. And, and Bridget was on board with that. And it just, it just never happened. I, I thought that was the biggest disappointment, uh, I think, in my career, not making that happen. What a tremendous know? idea, though. Yeah. I had never thought of that. That's really yeah. great. That's innovative. Yeah, we so worked rich. on that for a year, <laughs> but it never worked. Yeah. Wow. So, so you talk about these people at work being your kids. Mm-hmm. You, had, you brought your actual kid to G two once, and the the story I, I love about I that is you you asked us, you were co chair, and you said it would be all right if I brought my son Colin, right? Mm-hmm. And sure, more the merrier. Here's his here's his free ticket. And what you said to us afterwards was incredibly memorable. No, no, I'll pay I'll pay his ticket. He'll mm-hmm. come out there. He's going to learn a lot. It's going to be good for his career. And, you know, uh, you are still the only uh, person ever to come to G2 who's self-funded a ticket for his own his own son. Yeah, thought that was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, he uh, he enjoyed that. I said, you need to see uh, the rest of the world. And, you know, he, he had uh, the opportunity to meet uh, you know, high-level folks that were, you know, in, in finance. Because you know, he, he's gone into finance, and uh, he's working that pretty hard. He, Finished his, I think his class seven license, you know, and uh, so you know he had a chance to meet folks, and uh, it was a it was a great opportunity to see, you know, this is what I do, you know, <laughs> I don't have to explain it to him anymore, uh, you know, and uh, it, it was tough on him because that was finals week. Mm. We we had to get permission for him to do that. He had to move some tests around. And uh, I made a few phone calls and he did. And they just said, oh, all right. And I said, hey, is there any chance you can get some CEUs for this? <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't do that. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's our job now. At least at least mine is part is, is to bring uh, new folks in. Uh, this year before last, I had an opportunity to work with Craig to establish a CI program at uh, Metropolitan State University, which uh, was my school. And uh I kind of stumbled on that. I was on an alumni tour of Lockheed Martin into their space facility. You know, and so here I am, a competitor, and they're telling me everything about their stuff. Yeah, they were cool with it. They they knew that. And uh, uh, the president of the university was there, and I started talking to her about uh, the CI program. And she says, well, here, give me a call next week. And I did. And the dean of the business school called me up. And three or four months later, uh, we were meeting and Craig pulled in the CI fellows and we set up a program and they said, well, we're going to start this off as a, a transitional thing. If people want to take this as a side and things like that, uh, we'll see how it goes. Well, they offered the class up and they had 40 people sign up for the first class, Wow, which was limited to 30. So they had 10 on the waiting list. That's a so, nice feeling. So it took off. It took off. And then, of course, COVID hit <laughs> and everything's remote. And uh, uh, they're gonna, they said, we're going to come back to you because we want to take this to the next level. But we're waiting for you know, more in-person type meetings and stuff. So I'm waiting for round two on that. And I, and I told Craig, I said, we need to go hit Denver University next and uh, see if we can get something going there. 
Right on. Well, one of my favorite memories from uh, the 2018 Reconverge G2 meeting was uh, on Thursday of that week, we were doing the war game uh, and we had those three war games happening. And I believe you were in yeah. the food uh, <clears throat> yep. scenario. Uh, and uh, you leaned over to me at one point and said, you know, this young kid over here, this student, uh, he's really bright. And, you know, is he graduating anytime soon? Is he recruitable? And I said, well, Rich, <laughs> unfortunately, he's graduating all right, but he's graduating from high school. Uh, and so he's going to study computer science at, at Madison next year. And that's a memorable story because that's something that we've tried to do is reach younger and younger. So um, we had a graduate program. We then had undergrads. We've hired a bunch of undergrads uh, ourselves, you know, over the last several years. And now as we are moving mm -hmm. younger into the high school ranks, um, what do you think the implications are for intelligence culture, particularly in business, uh, of bringing these kids in younger? I'm really interested in your perspective on that because I think you have a unique love mm -hmm. for that uh, for those people. And I think also you've got your finger on the pulse of where the future of the field is going as a fellow now yourself, by the way, congratulations again. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I've always had an interest in that one. Uh, I was still in Cheyenne mountain. Uh, I volunteered at the, the local, uh, grade school to be on their, their board. And from there, they moved me up into, um, the district. So I'm working with the district, you know, kind of being a liaison and uh, they had me on a blue ribbon panel working with their, you know, cybersecurity and stuff. But at the same time, uh, we were looking at opportunities, uh, you know, for, for the uh, for the students. And I said, you know, we've got to get out of this mentality of finish high school, go to college. Why can't they start working college programs in high school, which some places around the country were doing that. And uh, so we, uh, there were several of us that, that, that talked the school into doing that. And so some of the students had an opportunity to start taking classes during the summer that would give them college credit. Right. And uh, because, you know, their skill sets at that time, they were thirsty for things. They, they could handle the load. Uh, now, if we look at the intelligence world, you know, <clears throat> I think more and more we need to transition how we do uh, education. Mm. Uh, we need to start getting, uh, younger people, their hands dirty into a skill set early on. And I kind of take this from the time when um, I was in Germany. Uh, they have a completely different system over there uh, where by the time you hit middle school, you've chosen your career path. Either you're going to go into a technical field or you're going to apprentice or you're going to go into sciences, you know, and, and it kind of diverges there and, and you start working on your lifelong skill sets. I said, we should be doing that. We should be doing something like that. So I, I see that happening around the country. Um, and actually, that's much more affordable. Think, think about that. The, the, the K-12 system, at least in Colorado Springs, was allowing them to go to college classes free. Hmm. And uh, so I, I, I encourage Colin and said, you need to do that. Go get your math classes. Done. In fact, his, his, high school math her, his high school math teacher was teaching the same class at the college level. And they were getting college credits for it. I said, why, why isn't he getting college credits for it? So, well, you know, it's, you got to have that money thing there. And, um, and so they, they started doing that now. They started doing these summer programs and you can go get, you know, 10, 15 credit hours over a period, of maybe two years. Right. And then when you start college, you don't have that huge load. You're, you're done in 
three years now or, or two years, not in four. And you're not paying for a class that you already had in high school. I got to take that again, you know, and uh, but but they can do this work. Uh, they, they, I, I used to volunteer for the, you know, the science fair and uh, we'd be judges and we would go in there and I was just amazed at, at, at the things that they were coming up with. I said, this is, this is amazing. And where did you get this idea? And they would tell me, and I said, these kids, you know, some of them, I, I see more enthusiasm in them than the people in the workforce now, you know? And uh, so that, that, that's our future. That's, that's where we can uh, really make a difference. I think I like to invest in, in the youth. That's for sure. Yeah. You mentioned Germany and then Derek, I'm going to pass it to you. Uh, I remember Tom Peters talking in search of excellence about uh, <laughs> if you want to be an engineer in Germany, you start out grinding metal. They give you a chunk of metal and they, and a grinder and you learn about the material that you're working with. And your point is well taken is we don't do that in the intelligence world until people have gone through all of this preparation to give them the experience that they need to really give actionable recommendations that will produce results. Mm -hmm. um, so just an observation. Derek, go ahead. I was just going to ask Rich, do you, uh, you made a point of saying we're going to bring these bright young people in and you made it very clear to them after two years, you're going to kick them out. Do you have any, do you have any uh, example, real life example of somebody that has gone on? Yeah, they, oh, they yeah. came in, came in and gone on to become one of those leaders, whether it be at Northrop or in the government uh, apparatus or otherwise. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I do. <clears throat> of course, I was telling you about the Mary Lee, and she became a manager. And uh, of course, uh, we sold off part of the business and she went with them. Now she's over in uh, Periton. Uh, and I said, now your uh, future is you need to get a director's job. You know, that's a smaller company. Uh, so by, by de, you know, de facto move, you've actually gone up a level at your management level. And uh, so we're working on that with her. All right. And uh, awesome. uh, I, I actually set her up with uh, one of our leaders before she left. And I, I don't know if that relationship's going on. It was a, a leader mentorship, you know, a mentorship type program. Uh, uh, we have a retired uh, lieutenant general that uh, is running one of our divisions. And uh, Ginger Winzebrowski and uh, I called her up and said, "Hey, can can you mentor this young lady here?" Uh, and because uh, I I've ran out of skill sets, <laughs> you know, I'm 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 at the point where I've I've told her everything I I know, and and so she started working with her, and says, "Yeah, she has a lot of promise, and uh, we've gone on a path." And I said, "Wonderful." Uh, there was a, another young gal that worked for me that uh, uh, we we just I said, "You want to be a CI person, but there's just not a lot of movement in, in a corporation. I mean, it gets very narrow." So you need to go into business development or other analytics and uh, I ended up working with uh, her and she ended up with a corporate job and, and got a manager's position. Um, and then, then I had a real interesting one. Uh, I was interviewing folks for a new job, an you know, entry, uh, entry level analyst job. And uh, this, this gal came across uh, to us and, you know, says, I want to, I want to interview for this job. And I said, okay, so, you know, you got to go through HR. She says, I, I have, and they, they kicked me out of the system. I, well, I said, why did that happen? She says, because I, I don't have any business background. I'm an anthropologist. I said, what? <laughs> she wow. says, I spent the last three years in Peru doing investigations, you know, and digs and things like that. And after talking to her, I said, you know, she's got probably better analytical, analytical skills than we do. 
So I went and talked to HR and I got her through the system and we interviewed her. And, and lo and behold, uh, we, we got her. They let her, they let us have her. And uh, she was working on her PhD during that time. And uh, uh, she ended up uh, working for me for a year. Very brilliant. I, I gave her everything I could throw at her, you know, just here you go, try this, try that. And, and she was excellent analyst. And uh, this was one that I didn't have to kick out. Corporate grabbed her. They recognized the talent and took her up there and she started working up there. And then eventually, unfortunately, she was poached by another company and now she's a director at another mm -hmm. company. Yeah. Right. That's awesome though. Those awesome stories of just championing people's causes, you know, young, young yeah. up and comers, up and coming stars, you know, and our mutual friend, Joe Goldberg said it uh, recently on this podcast, you know, when we're young, we ride the coattails of those that came before us. Right. That's and right. eventually, eventually what I loved about his quote is he finishes it with now it's time to be the horse. You, you got to let <laughs> yeah. people ride, ride yeah. you. And I, I love that you take that perspective because it's so empowering and, uh, you know, just inspiring to, to even older guys like me and me and my brother here. You know, what's funny is I'm, I'm, I'm remembering because sometimes I like to interject a little Joe bros, uh, youth story. And I'm feeling inspired to do that at this moment mm -hmm. in this recording. So growing up, I was, I was the shadow of our dad who was actually quite handy around the house. And I was mm -hmm. literally on his coattails, carrying on that metaphor, you know, holding the hammer, you know, eventually getting promoted to where I, he'd let me pound a nail and, you know, doing these projects around the house. And Eric went on to start a successful company, but he wanted nothing to do <laughs> nothing to do with jobs around the house. Um, you know, some yeah. of the more manual labor, reciting the house. He did it reluctantly when he couldn't get out of it, but he, he had this innate ability to make himself invisible that, that is just incredible. And it, I mean, it lasted throughout much of my um, uh, preteen and teenage years, believe it or not. <laughs> that's well, interesting rich the, the joke was that um you know i'd hold the flashlight if i couldn't ghost myself out of a, a job around the house um and then i'd hold the flashlight very badly uh, i'd i'd wander and not have the light on the work at hand and finally dad would just say give me that get yeah. out of here <laughs> you, you have no skills in this get it yeah and you'd walk out there saying mission accomplished huh? i could return to my science fiction stories or whatever there you I go was with, you know instead of oh. and but derek loved it you know derek truly loved that uh not only the camaraderie with our dad but learning those hand hands-on skills and i think that's the lesson you're trying to convey there derek is everybody's different everybody's got their own sort of different uh, orientation on things. And I, I love what you've done, Rich, with this in your career is really getting to know people, really getting to understand what they want out of life and out of their career, and then putting them on a path that allows them to not, you're not doing it for them, but you're helping them avoid some mistakes. And that's the thing I think that I love so much about mm -hmm. what you're doing there is you're guiding people. You're not, um, I, I, it's more than mentoring it's caring and then helping them become a professional. You know, it's the professionalization of people who are really in a job. Yep. You don't think of it as their profession yet. And that's really admirable. I love that about yeah. you. 
Well, I, I remember the leaders that took me under uh, their, their wing and, and uh, they brought me in and uh, they mentored me and they gave me advice, you know, and I always remember, you know, that type of thing. And I picked up some of their operating styles. I go, this is this is a this is a good way to do business. Uh, and I, I remember when I was on the, the joint staff and uh, we just finished up standing up that combating terrorism group and uh, I was going to go back to my real job, you know, so uh, I. I was fortunate work for at that time. It was a uh, regular uh, Brigadier General uh, James T. Conway, and he was the guy that led the uh, assault into Baghdad for Desert Storm Two. And th this guy was very inspirational because, and uh, you know, when he made that assault, uh, they were running faster than the supply chain. Mm -hmm. So he went to the troops and says, "Look, we're uh, we're going to make this assault, and uh, we're going to have to go through a desert storm here the next day, a real storm, you know, with the sand and everything. And uh, uh, I'm telling you that uh, we only have enough rations for one meal a day. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with somebody saying, hey, I, I can't do that. But everybody volunteered and said, that's what we're going to do. And, uh, you know, th that's the type of leader you know, that this uh, that he was. And, uh, you know, and, and so I finished that. I, he, he recommended me, he said, you go back to this job. And I get a call and they say, hey, this, they have another job for uh, an exec for uh, the, the, the J-33, who's the uh, the deputy J-3, uh, Major General Van Alstine, a three-star Army general. And I remember going up and interviewing with him. And and he's, he says, well, so why do you want this job? And I says, well, somebody said this would be a good career progression. And he talked me out of it. He actually said, I'd pick you in a heartbeat, but so let's talk about this. Are you willing to work, you know, 15 hour days? You're going to have to work a half day on Saturday and answer phone calls on Sunday. So this is a two year grind and it's going to wear you down. And, and, uh, I said, you know, that doesn't sound like something I really want to do at this point in time. I have two kids at home and this and that. And he goes, exactly. And, and, and he mentored me out of that job and, uh, he, he actually, checked up on me after that couple times. I said, now there's a leader. There's a leader. You know, he had, he had no reason to call me, you know, six months later saying, how you doing? Everything. I said, I know I pushed out of this job, but how you doing? You know, and, and he took care of me. And I said, I got to do that for my people. I've got to do that. You know, it, it, I kind of feel like that, that progressive commercial, don't be like your dad. Because you know? <laughs> I'm using all these quotes all the time. I'll, I'll come up with a quote that I heard now and, and people go, what, what was that? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, the context is missing. But <laughs> I have all these quotes from these leaders, you know, and I just, oh. Well, here's one for you. I bet you yeah. haven't heard in a while, or maybe you have. Uh, and it, it was prompted by your recollection of Brigadier General Conway. Uh, and that is amateurs talk about strategy and tactics. Professionals talk about logistics and sustainability. That's right. And that was uh, four-star General. Nordy Schwartz. Uh, well, and Robert Barrow is who it's attributed mm -hmm. to here in, in the late 70s, uh, yeah. four-star Marine Corps General. Uh, but yeah. that idea of logistics and sustainability is yeah. really... Uh, about what it takes to professionalize it does and to yeah. really and to be dispassionate about the the strategy tactics part not get distracted by what's happening today but be thinking listen guys it's one meal a day we're going through a storm in the desert and we still have a mission to accomplish and who's with me that's so. it yeah I, I, schwarzkopf was a big uh 
logistics guy. Uh, he talked about that all the time. Says the only going to we're going to pull this off is we have the loggies doing their job. So I just remember uh, during that time there was a big emphasis put on logistics and moving troops. And, and uh, I was a war planner at that time, and uh, I remember the pressure he was putting on us. To, says you make sure that the, you know you've got the equipment there on time in the right place at the right and it has to you know be ready to go and uh you know he was a big big advocate of that yeah one of the go, go ahead derek you had us um no you you keep going okay. with your thoughts well <laughs> one of the things that came up when we were talking with joe the other day was um the notion of international competition and uh, this is a book uh that maybe you've uh, been exposed to unrestricted warfare uh this was one. Yeah. this was written by a couple of chinese uh pla generals back in 1999 wow. and it uh, had a really interesting passage that i'd like to read so uh podcast folks be patient with me i'll try and keep it as short as possible um and this is on new methodology of war games page 104 it is obvious that the military revolution referred to by Cohen is identical to the warfare understood by those prophets that were previously mentioned. The winner always likes to coast on the path of victory. Like the French military who relied upon climbing out of the trenches at Verdun to win World War I and hoped that the next war would be carried out the same as the Maginot Line, the American military, which won a victory in the Gulf War, also hopes to continue the desert storm type addiction during the 21st century. And in fact, they invoke Schwarzkopf, although each calculation won glory like that of Schwarzkopf, all of the American generals understand that it is not possible for wars in the next century to be simple replays of the Gulf War. Now, the reason I bring that up is as an aerospace and defense intelligence analyst and leader, talk to me about how fighting the last war uh, is a recipe for disaster and what it is ultimately um, your customer, the Pentagon, and I use that word in the singular, your customer has a whole different battle space in which they are operating now really driven by public opinion and misinformation, disinformation and media manipulation and all that stuff. I mean, what an <laughs> opportunity to change the rules of engagement. And yeah, now at this point in your career anyway. Yeah. So, you know, the starting back with Cohen, uh, the revolution of military affairs is what he called it. And at that time, uh, we took uh, uh, Vietnam era tactics and turned them into what we call maneuver warfare. And that mm -hmm. came from uh, a small brain trust and a guy probably you've heard of before, John Boyd. Yeah, uh, he's the one who put the OODA loop together, which is not a loop actually. But anyway, that uh, put that into fruition, maneuver warfare and shock and awe and all that. Uh, those things, you know, carried on through totally not appropriate today. Uh, you know, now we're in this digital age. It's an information warfare. Uh, there's so much going on when you have near peers out there that can buy commercial tech that can do the job that you know, we're spending years and years putting together, uh, or, or at least come close to what we're doing, uh, it, it's a different environment. And so uh, you have to keep changing with the environment. Commercial tech is changing the way we're doing business. Uh, we're all now into this digital uh, revolution. Uh, we no longer build uh, 
you know, multi-billion dollar airplanes and do fly-offs, we build digital twins. <clears throat> it's all done in modeling and sim and, you know, using uh, AR capability, uh, VR capability and federated labs. And you're flying an aircraft that hasn't been built yet. And the, they've got the technology down to the point where it's so close to the actual aircraft that they're doing testing and evaluation on an aircraft that's not built yet. Wow. or a tank that's not built yet. The Orion spacecraft that's going to go to Mars was built that way. So on that tour, I had an opportunity at Lockheed Martin to walk into their facility where they're doing the digital uh, twin of the uh, Orion spacecraft and, and walked into it. You put on some goggles and, and they were showing you how they were configuring it. You know, Once they lock that down, they send it to the customer. The customer looks it over, looks good, and they go and build it. Right. And a completely different way of doing business. Well, our competitors are doing that, too. They're in the digital world. It's not about, you know, flying a plane, dropping a bomb you know, taking land or anything like that. It, it's all electronics. There's cyber warfare going on, electronic warfare going on, psychological warfare going on, economic. There's stuff going on all the time. And in space. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. When, you know, when I was, you know, in in space command doing that work, I said, we're, we're almost at war like every day. I mean, the maneuvering of the satellites, everything that was going on, it was like, oh my gosh. And that has probably, you know, that was 12, 14 years ago. Uh, that's probably changed tremendously since. And, and we know it has, there's been a lot of space launches since then. So your frame of reference has to keep changing. It has to be in a, a dynamic mode all the time which gets us to where we are at today in, in the defense, uh, aerospace defense industries, they still are you know, running acquisition the way they did 40 years ago. Sure. You know, and over the past four or five years, they've been trying to change that. We had um, a secretary of, uh, uh, of acquisition in the Air Force, uh, Will Roper, okay, who came in and really has, has started that revolution uh, from the DOD side and started looking towards commercial Kind of look towards commercial technology. Let's start looking to these small, you know, startup companies that uh, you know have promise, <clears throat> and uh, you, you got to look them up sometime because he uses a lot of uh, science fiction references. So he started off with uh, introducing his new acquisition plan using the Matrix as a background. He says we're going to start you with the red pill or the you know the blue pill, you know, and right. uh, and uh, that took off, and we started. He started naming. Um, software factories after uh, you know science fiction uh, uh, movies we had uh, one called the Kessel Run right oh, which uh, which was uh, run by uh, Pivotal which is a Dell company that did uh, agile acquisition software uh, there was a Kobayashi Maru that was doing <laughs> some, some work and so I've been trying to figure out you know hey wait a minute they're using those I got to figure out a science fiction name to use for my group that's right. introducing, you know, digital techniques uh, on a daily basis. And, uh, but, uh, you know, it, 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 it's changing the way we do business. And uh, the ones that don't change are going to be dinosaurs. You know, when a paradigm shifts, if you don't shift with it, you go to zero. Everybody starts at zero, actually. But if you don't, sh you know, change and shift with it, you're going to be history. All right. So we're all changing. Well, at the risk of introducing another uh, science fiction universe besides the Star Wars and Star Trek reference you just used, I'll suggest The Spice Must Flow uh, or some something from the Frank Herbert Dune. Dune, Dune, Dune. is just an endless source of yeah. 
cool inspiration. And I take yeah. a lot of code names out of, out of Frank Herbert's work myself, yep. which is my hobby, by the way. One of my hobbies is code name. Uh, code name. <laughs> oh, you you do wonderful in the, the Pentagon. <laughs> I, Acronyms, I code names. <laughs> I love though that you bring that up, Eric. That you know the, the wars of the past need to be fought differently, and that you're thinking that through, Rich. And obviously, your competitive universe has broadened as a result of that, right? And you're you're needing to look at things in the commercial sector in ways that you know many uh, several years or more ago maybe weren't terribly relevant to a to a successful capture program right and just uh, evolving and being able to, to kind of move uh, and evolve with you know mm -hmm. what the world is throwing at us is important as an intel you know intel operator yeah and, and for our business in the ci business you know uh, they're putting us into that environment the digital and devops environment um and uh, we call ours biz devops and uh, so I'm working on the you know the front end of of captures, uh, and we have a dojo that we will stand up, and we're running a cycle. We're using uh, Jira and Confluence, uh, you know, and uh, there's a lot of structure to it. There's, but there's learning on both sides because you know that that whole process was built for building software, and there's things that uh, you know they're expecting us to do. You know, uh, you know the first thing was oh you you've got to sprint through these uh, and, you know uh, landscapes. So what, what, what do you mean sprint through? Well, we got to get that done in you know in a couple of days. I'm going okay. Let's explain. Let's let's go through what it takes to do real analysis. Yeah, you know, there's some things you can't speed up. So you know that was a learning process that uh, our dojo, uh, you know, coaches have learned. Like oh, okay, there's some parts of this that we're not going to be able to speed up. I mean, uh, and actually, what it took was I said I tell you what, let me give you some homework here. I'm going to give you. Uh, Five things I want you to find out about a competitor. Should be easy, right? Just go look on their website. Uh, I'll give it to you. And uh, tomorrow when we have our meeting. Uh, we'll see how you did. And uh, he got back and said, there wasn't anything on their website. And I said, yeah, so what do you think? Can we sprint this or not? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so wake up, wake up they, call. They the, the did. Sprint isn't always possible. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I said, yeah, we, we probably could do things faster, uh, you know, and better. Um, but I, I still don't want to shave off the quality at the other end. You, 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 you know, I mean, intelligence kind of moves at its own pace, you know, especially if you're doing primary co collection, it just, it's hit or miss sometimes. It's, uh, you're not always going to get what you think you're going to get, or sometimes you'll get something that you didn't expect. You know, that's, that's another thing, but uh, I surely do miss going to trade shows. So. <laughs> yeah. We, we got to get back into that. Oh yeah. Soon enough. Well, maybe we can wrap up on the, uh, subject of actionability because my motto for 2021 is no action, no traction. Uh, and I think that's the bottom line with intelligence work is uh, if it ends up in a three ring binder or the modern equivalent in a, in a wiki, uh, you know, unread, unused, unappreciated and unacted upon, did it ever really exist? Uh, and was it a waste of time? Yeah. So I, I usually explain to our leaders, it's, it's like this, you're going to go golfing and you get your bags together, you clean your golf balls, you clean your clubs, you go out there, you get on the first tee, we line you up, we put the ball on the tee, you come back and you're taking that backswing and you're getting ready to go and you drop your club and says, okay, thank you. <laughs> Perfect. We, we can go home now. 
<laughs> aren't you going to hit the ball? <laughs> yeah. right. No, we're good. We're good. Yeah. So I, I explain it to him like that. I says, hit the ball, take the risk. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. You know, I, my, my parting comments here as we wrap up would be, um, number one, thank you for your service to our great country. Rich as a veteran, you know, that's, uh, from the Joe bros, uh, right, right here. Um, just so grateful for that. Grateful for your friendship, partnership, you know, the, the chance to kind of be uh, running through the fog together uh, from time to time oh, and doing right. that together. But I think what I hope from this podcast is that maybe uh, your mentee, Mary Lee, will listen to it someday uh, and, <laughs> and uh, people like her and understand that they have a, such a, a great resource available to them and you uh, to help them you know, uh, move up the ladder you know, and, and stay motivated and stay uh, focused on what's next. You yeah. know, and I, I know that uh, Eric and I find you inspiring in that regard and just uh, so grateful for the friendship and the partnership. Appreciate you yeah, being I, on the podcast. I've always, I've always enjoyed your uh, friendship and mentorship as well. I've learned a lot from you and I'm, I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot more. What a great way to wrap up. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Derek. I uh, really enjoyed this conversation. It was everything I hoped it would be. And uh, we'll see you next time on Running Into the Fog. We don't know who I don't think we're going to have in the sequence, but uh, you'll just have to tune in and, and listen. So thank you, Rich. Thanks, you're Derek. You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, Rich. See you. All right.